Cool, 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 cool. All right. And let me just get my bullshit ready. <coughs> it's been a minute. Welcome to Feather and Mountain Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. I am your host, Delusions of Grendel. And there's been a couple changes since we were last here. I've got a fabulous new co-host with me. Uh, my father, uh, Papa, if you want to introduce yourself. Well, hello. I hope you can hear me okay. We're many miles away. I'm in the center of Ontario, and you're not. So hopefully this internet-type thing will work well. So you can call me Graham, or Graham's Confusion, because as I watch the Rings of Power, if I was the Grey Wizard, I might be a little puzzled about what's going on. Hmm. Indeed, and I understand none of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So with season two, what we're doing, um, just kind of as a backdrop as a whole, we're coming in. Rings of Power is super hot right now. I am playing the role of the never reader. I've never read Tolkien. I'll get into that later before you shoot at me with like your DMs about how I need to read it. We will delve into all of the reasons I will never be reading Tolkien. Um, But we're going to start off with Rings of Power, and then uh, eventually we're going to make our way back into the Wheel of Time. Uh, Graham's Confusion is uh, basically a never-reader of, (laughs) or maybe, um, maybe not a never-reader, a possible reader, a tentative reader. I'll play with that title. Um... And we'll make our way back into the Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime and do a full breakdown of all those episodes uh, from the perspective of of time and giving uh, episodes seven and eight a little minute to sink in as we as we eagerly await um, season two. So with all of that, this is temporarily a Rings of Power podcast. Let's get after it. So, Graham, and your confusion, why don't you tell our fabulous audience a little about your background with fantasy, with Tolkien, um, and what got you excited about the Rings of Power dropping on Amazon Prime? Okay, well, um, I, from early days, have been into fantasy, and well, I don't even sure if you call it fantasy, we'll call it lore. Uh, In grade school, I would do a lot of work uh, with Greek mythology and Roman mythology. And actually, at the age of like nine, I did a comparative between Greek and Roman mythology for my a school project. So I've been a nerd from a long time. Uh, as I got into grade school and early high school, one of my friends introduced me to The Lord of the Rings. Uh, I read it. I was enchanted. I read it again. I think to date I have probably read the volumes. Well, I'm on my third co- copy of the books. Let's just put it that way. So they're <laughs> they're they're well worn, and some of those were, of course, um, eagerly read by my oldest child and son, and uh, also by my third child, also a son. However, somebody else was tried to read them and was not happy with the reading. This being an English major who wouldn't take this English professor's prose at his word and was somewhat bored. That being said, 
when the Tolkien movies were uh, released under the Peter Jackson team um, in 2000, 2001, 2002, or 2001, 2002, 2003, um, you, uh, Grendel, the Legions of Grendel, were one of the keenest people. And as the CD version, the DVD versions came out and the extended DVD versions came out, you and your brothers would continuously watch with all the comments and Peter Jackson comments and the actor comments and all that stuff. So from a movie perspective, I would say you guys know the, uh, the Middle Earth world far better than I do. I'm still more of a reading guy. It's been a couple of years, to be honest, since I've read Lord of the Rings, probably five. Uh, I do watch the movies annually now, though, but not with all. I just, I just watch them to enjoy them. Uh, but so I'm, I'm keeping up with it. So that's sort of my background in, in fantasy. I, there's many other books that I read, and you can come back to my never reader failure as a real time fan. As frankly, I struggled through the first book and have paused the second book, but uh, uh, really enjoyed the TV series. But we'll, that's that's for another segment of the podcast. So I, I'll leave that alone. Anyway, uh, so that's that's sort of my background. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll I'll fill in some of the blanks now for uh, the fans who I'm sure are rolling listening to this. Um, how can you be a Wheel of Time fan and hate Tolkien? Uh, let me tell you about misogyny. Um, <laughs> my my papa has has you know given the history here. I will say, growing up as well. Um, my dad was writing this fan fiction kind of like spin on Middle Earth that involved my brothers and I as little hobbits. I believe you were a wizard. Of course. Um, I can't remember what mom was. Was she an elf? Uh, I believe so, yeah. She was Nage. she was something. Nadge. Um and uh, you know, we'd reenact that. My grandpa made us hiking sticks. We'd, you know, walk through parks and streams and pretend we were hobbits going on a great adventure we watched the animated lord of the rings cartoon and the hobbit cartoon more times than i can count thank you blockbuster Mm -hmm. r.i.p um and i was really excited to dive into the hobbit around grade three i i think uh and i tried i picked it up and i could not get through it at this time i was devouring redwall like it was my job um, reading things far above my grade level, but I could not get into The Hobbit. A few years later, uh, I think it was grade six, I tried to pick up Lord of the Rings and uh, I failed. And that was the first time or the second time I haven't been able to finish a book. Um, the movies came out when I was in grade eight. And I remember being so keen to go see the movie in 2001 and I tried to read The Fellowship again, and I failed. Um, saw the movie, fell in love, managed over the course of the next year to read Fellowship, struggled through it, but because I'd seen the movie so many times, I knew what I was waiting for. I knew the moments that were coming. I tried, made it through Fellowship, really tried to get into Two Towers before the second movie dropped. I think I tried that one at least four times before eventually giving up. It was the Ents, man. I couldn't make it past those fucking Ents. Um, and to date, it, like in my life, I think there's five books I've never been able to finish. And four of them are Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, so that's, you know, I, I've tried. I've done my darndest. Uh, I remember we went 
um, to England. We toured. Uh, which school did Tolkien teach at? Oxford. Um, Oxford. We went. We toured Oxford. Um, he worked there with uh, Lewis Carroll. You know, we saw the Alice in Wonderland thing. I have a huge respect for what Tolkien did for fantasy in general. Um, I I just can't get into it. Uh, but from you know, the movie perspective and the world that he created, I'm forever grateful. Uh, in 2019, my dad actually planned a trip for us to go to New Zealand. Uh, and much of that was spent touring um, the shooting locations. We did, uh, you know, a day at um, the Shire, or do they call it Hobbiton? Hobbiton. And we did a dinner there. We had dinner at the Green Dragon. We had so many pints. It was like truly a magical experience. So I love the world of Middle Earth and everything that Tolkien has created. But I'm very much in favor of playing within this world and maybe not keeping so much to what Tolkien wrote. Because again, misogyny, where are my female heroines? I don't know. Um. <laughs> well, don't forget. So... Um... J.R. Tolkien was born in 1892, uh, so obviously a couple of generations ahead of us. Died in 1973 at the age of 81. Um, had a bad marriage, uh, which for all of you LOTR fans, you are aware that the one ring resembles a wedding ring, and there's no accident by that. Uh, so he he wasn't a happy he wasn't a happy man. And actually, when I was in university, I had a teacher of uh, econometrics who went to Oxford, and Tolkien was one of her profs, and she just referred to him as a grumpy old man. So <laughs> uh, at that point, he would have been in the 1950s, I think, close to his retirement, but he was just a grumpy old man and did all this stuff, and, and at the time didn't want to talk to his students or anybody about Lord of the Rings and all that stuff, despite its success. So yeah, sure, he was he was uh, you know, a little eccentric. Uh, but man, what what an incredible imagination! As I start pouring through the history and trying to figure out where rings of power actually fit in, comparable to everything else. So, yeah. So uh, with you know that, we'll kind of segue our way into the rings of power. Uh, leading up to the actual episode drops on um, Friday, September second. What? Had you seen from Lord of the... Like, what had you seen about Rings of Power? What were you looking forward to? What were you fearful of? Like, set the mood in terms of your excitement level for this series. Well, well, for some reason, I actually stayed away from most of the trailers and stuff like that. I, I don't know why I did. I just decided that it was... I was just going to let it happen and let it waft around me. Maybe it was because it was summer, it was nice outside, and... Uh, we were doing so many other things as a family, which was great. But I decided not to look too deeply at the things. Read, didn't go online to read any of the comments. Didn't you know go into the speculation or any of the the group chats and stuff like that to see what people were thinking. I just wanted to experience it raw. I knew Galadriel was a key um, a key character. I assumed Elrond would be in there. I assume a few other people will show up, but. I, I, other than that, I had no expectations. Um, uh, so I, I came into it and watched the first episode by myself. My, my charming wife did not even sit down with me. Uh, I will rewatch episode one and two. And as backdrop to this, I've only watched them once. And part of that was just to kind of give you my, my initial feel and, and thing. And 
by the time episode three drops uh, this week, I will have uh, watched them again at least one more time through in anticipation for episode three. So, uh, I mean, I think a couple of key words come to mind when I think of Rings of Power. Absolutely stunningly beautiful. Uh, I, I think the uh, effects are incredible. I think that they have taken what Jackson and team did, it's hard to believe it's 20 years ago, 20 years ago, and then just amplified it to a whole degree. I think they are going to do a ju- good job of staying to the movie trilogy canon. I, I think they'll be feeding into that. So I don't think we'll see Tom Bombadil. I don't think we'll we'll see uh, Glorfindel or others that were left out of the movies. I think they're going to play great respect to what Peter Jackson and Philippa Boyens and Fran Walsh did um, and, and keep to that. Um, I understand, by the way, that Peter Jackson and team were consulted early, but not very active throughout. So... Uh, they've actually kept separate, but that being said, I know because it was filmed in New Zealand. You know, Peter Jackson knew what was going on. There's, he's he is New Zealand for gosh sakes, so he uh, he would have been very aware of what was happening and what was going down. So anyway, uh, so beautiful would be my first thing, and um, I guess my second reaction was a little unexpected. Um, uh, the Nori storyline is great, and I love the fact that they're going to focus on a early hobbits i didn't think because hobbits aren't in too much of the lore early on yes concerning hobbits at the beginning of fellowship of the ring in the book they talk about all the different hobbits there's no character of nori and then the other one uh with um the wizard and the witch uh bronwyn and i can't remember his character arondir 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 uh, we'll have to listen for his name being said more clearly. It sounds clearly. elvish. Around you. I, I, I'm excited because uh, it's an interesting storyline and they're going to tie obviously some bad things with Sauron and the other things going on into it, but uh, they're playing the fire because there are only three relationships in the canon where humans and elves have got together. So they haven't got together. And they're all been... lady elves. With male humans. And so this is like, let's spice it up a little. Get a male elf in there. Okay, okay. And, uh, and you know, not that I uh, tilt that way, but uh, he, I would assume that the ladies are going to find him quite pleasing. Or whoever's a fan of, of male elves will find them quite pleasing. I think he is objectively beautiful, yes. <laughs> as is Galadriel. Uh, uh, as one of my good buddies said, uh, my sexuality is now Galadriel. <laughs> Very good. A wonderful young Swedish actress. Actor. She is stunning. Um, but yeah, let's let's kind of talk about uh, the plots for the first two episodes. And we'll, we'll delve more into how they tie into the appendices and Lord of the Rings itself. What you as a Tolkien enthusiast are looking at when you're watching this versus, you know, what I see and what I'm hopeful for just based on like tropes and a love of fantasy and a love of, you know, romance tossed into fantasy as well. Um, So in the first episode, what I loved so much is that it opens with Galadriel's um, voiceover, which is the exact same way Fellowship opens, right? So we have our girl giving us a narration, letting us know what happened. It's the same 
to me, it felt the same as like 2001 sitting down in the theater beside you. And all of a sudden we hear Galadriel's voice. She gives us a precursor as to what had happened with Morgoth. Um, similar to uh, Fellowship when she's giving us an overview of what had happened with Sauron. Uh, so we, we open with that. Um, and we see Galadriel journeying. She's out for vengeance. We meet a snow troll. Um, I missed Boromir. Oh, they have a snow troll. <laughs> that was a cave troll, but yeah, same idea. It's a cave but troll. But it's, you know, I see the snow troll. That's what I'm hearing. Um, she's with a bunch of elf bros. You know, they kind of just lay down their swords and say, girl, we're done. Uh, end your vengeance. We just want to retire now. Um, you know, maybe they're Gen Z's or whatever who are tired of working after three years. That's some shade, by the way. <laughs> um, and so that that's our one point is Galadriel, um, the elf bros, she, you know, Elrond makes it this big honor that she gets to go uh, sail back into the West. Um, of course, we know, I don't think, I don't think it was intended to be tension. Like we know that Galadriel wasn't going to sail into the West. Right. But it's I thought I think even knowing that they did a great job of building that tension. But anyway, you know, set sail on the ship, and that's kind of Galadriel's plot for the first episode. Then we meet um, Arondir, Bronwyn, uh, their little arc. We see some of like the terribleness of humans. Who knew that humans could be racist? It's crazy. Um, <laughs> and we're, you're not even talking about the trolls that are are chasing down the. I'm really uh, definitely series, not right? talking about those guys, but yeah, like just the flaws of humanity is like so. I I really like how they put it on full display because the pointy ears, um, just the Theo, um, Bronwyn's son, his buddy, who's a complete asshole, um, makes fun of Theo because of like his mom has a crush on like an elf, and it's very taboo, um, and yeah, looked down on. Where I'm like. Who would look down on, like, this beautiful specimen being interested in a human? I don't know. But it's a really nice way to look at or to – it's not it's not a way, nice way to look at the world. It's a nice way to enter the world and see, you know, just already the difference between human and elves. That um, uh, is very true to Tolkien, by the way. Uh, in Throughout all of his writings, the humans were or the, the race of man, as he typically referred refer to it. We're, we're of the lowest thing, above orcs, obviously, but um, not to be trusted, not to uh, be respectful of nature. It was a, it was a very, very typical way of doing it. So I, I, I actually respected the way in several instances where they showed humans interacting with elves or with things or, or the, um, the hobbits. I know they're they call them something different. Harfoots. The Harfoots. Uh, the Harfoot hobbits are uh, hiding from humans or other things. Just from that perspective, I thought it was very good. It was it was perfect. They they kept that theme alive well. Good, yeah. And like speaking of the Harfoots, that's well. I guess I'll finish off with Arendir and Bronwyn. So you know they sense an evil, but uh, King Gilgalad is like, hey guys, everything's fine. Uh, war's over, which in a fantasy world, obviously, uh, that definitely means that the war is truly over. Um, <laughs> no, it just means that shit's about to get real. 
Um, but war's over. Elves are being pulled out. Arondir wants to go say goodbye to his bay. You know, then they milk a cow. Some s- sweet little sludge gets uh, poured out of there, which reminds all of us of Morgoth. Um, Bronwyn and Arondir go on an adventure to the next town over uh, where the el- that cow had been grazing. And they see just like decimated town. Um, looks like it, it's been burned and that's where we leave their adventure in the first episode. Uh, oh, and of course, Theo finds, you know, uh, Sauron's blade or what uh, remains of it. I'm not really sure what that is. I, I, it, it, mm. it's, is it a torch? Is it a uh, thing? Is, is it the handle for a blade? It could be. It, I mean, it looks different than the, uh, the blade uh, that they showed in the other movies. Uh, by the way, another thing that I picked up is that they're going to be, they can't use exactly the same design for things that were used in the movie, but they're going to be as close as they can with not, with like taking exact replicas because they don't have the rights to that. So New Line mm-hmm. Cinema did not allow these guys to take all that politics. Interesting. One of the things I loved about the um, Elrond and Galadriel exchange was... Uh, the way they've set up Elrond as the politician, which I thought was excellent and uh, kind of fits with the way he is portrayed in the movie. It doesn't come, that, come across that way in the book. He's, the book sees much more of a, uh, a fighter, a leader of elves that way. But this as a scholar, as a, a speech writer for the him, for the Yeah, kid. mimicking the spirit, like reciting along with the speech as Gilgalad was giving it. I thought, Brilliant. It, I thought it was excellent. Uh, that's a great twist on the Elrond that we kind of know, because frankly, in Lord of the Rings, you meet Elrond a few times. You know, They made him a bit more sour in the movie, but it's because things weren't going his way. doesn't appear in the books that way, but, you know, it... Um, I like... I, I, I think, especially given today's political world, it's going to be interesting to see how this political guy uh, navigates waters that are obviously going to get shaky for him, right? So it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I really thought that was a cool twist on the Elrond character. Yeah, Elrond half-elf. What yeah. do they call him? Half-elven? Um, and, and yeah, speaking of I mean, Elrond, we don't get a ton of him in the first episode. I think his point is mostly just to be like Galadriel's BFF. Um, but we do... Uh, you know, we see him and Gilgalad together. We see that he's not quite reached his peak or the gla- like, you know, there's still a ceiling above him. There's still uh, many, many places for him to climb the the elven ladder uh, to the top of the hierarchy. Um, but in the meantime, you know, he's speech writing for Gilgalad. He's in his pocket. Uh, Gilgalad calls him in for a special favor to work with Celebrimbor. Um, who, when that dude is introduced, I'm like, like, I know elves aren't evil, but that dude is fucking shady. That's my gut. And like, and I know, like, you come at me with your Celebrimbor, like, knowledge, because I looked at him and I'm like, I don't like his jaw. I don't like his shady eyes. This dude's gonna be evil. Well, the actor had had a kind of a sneaky role in the series of The Crown, by the way. So he was sort of a slimy guy in The Crown. But the, um... Calabrimbor, he's the dude that does the carvings on the the other gates of Moria, Moria uh, that you see in the movie. He's the guy that actually puts that together. I was just kind of browsing through stuff on Gandalf, and then it, there was Gandalf and Calabrimbor, and it, they talk about Calabrimbor 
who actually did the uh, the moon speak friend and, and enter mellow anyway yeah so he's that's where he's referred to um i know you have a theory about what he might do on behalf of sauron we'll see but um uh, anyway, so he is he is referred to briefly in in the books. He's in the appendices, and that's where I found in Appendix B, uh, where he actually made the gates of Moria. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? All right. So we'll see. Um, because I mean, well, that's in episode two where we get to meet yes. Durin. Um, and they're Durin three and Durin four. I actually had to pause it on Prime, <laughs> and thank goodness on Apple TV they have the little thing where it pops up and it says who. who oh, the X-ray, are. yeah. King Durin the third, Prince Durin the fourth. Okay, yep. I just you know Durin's Princess Bane, Disa. I I didn't know that. I guess I did know there was many Durins, but I didn't know they were hitting that space. So. They're getting into the Durin of it all. Exactly. Down in Durin with it. Um, so yeah, we get briefly meet uh, Celebrimbor, and that's kind of where we leave Elrond. Is like they're gonna do, fate like they're gonna play together, um, and oh, and of course our girl, uh, our little Harfoot, Nori, Eleanor, Nori, yes, um, and her good friend Poppy. And what I love about this is that it's Nori Brandyfoot and Poppy Poppy Proudfellow. And of course, you know, I hear Poppy Proudfellow. And the first thing I think is, it's proud feet. (laughs) So now I'm like shipping, (laughs) I'm shipping Nori and Poppy because I'm like, we know that it becomes Proudfoot when like Proudfoot is a hobbit line. So, you know, when do these like lines intersect? When does um, Brandyfoot become Proudfoot? I don't know. I'm excited for that. We got five seasons to get there. But yes, I will be shipping Nori and Poppy. Thank you so much. (laughs) But yes, the Nori storyline. So we get to see the Harfoots. That that was probably my favorite sequence from... from episode one was when they were all in hiding and then when everything opens up like it just felt like peter jackson to me you've got the music like lilting in the background is like you know little sanctuaries and homes pop up out of nowhere uh people peeping behind like shrubs it was very cute uh and yeah it felt what i know is tolkien which is basically just the world of middle earth um uh nori you know she's an adventurous harfoot she seems a little bit different than others of her kind she wants to adventure she wants to explore poppy is her you know reticent bestie who's like "Ooh, girl i don't know about this um bilbo with his sam is what i would compare it to because frodo wasn't the adventurous type he was but he would never admit it but nori more like bilbo because bilbo wanted an adventure bilbo had to get out i know you didn't read the hobbit but he was he was happy, but he knew he needed more. It wasn't, again, as blatant. Nori, man, she's right out there. She she wants to do it. But also, the Harfoots are a migrant band. So when uh, her dad injures himself, that might be episode two, when he yeah. puts his foot. Um, and they talk about, well, we have to migrate in a short amount of time. So at this point, the Hobbits are, are migrational. So that's probably why they're a little bit more out there. But yeah, Nori is very, very interested Um interesting to see where they're going to take her because uh, I think she's doing a little blend of, of Bilbo but more adventurous than Bilbo. So I'm also going to be interested. So my, my take on Aaron Deer and Bronwyn and uh, Nori and Poppy and, and the whole 
um, the whole Hobbit group is they're a mashup of stuff that they've found. So I, they're not allowed to, well, not, they're not allowed. They're, they're treading carefully around the Silmarillion, Unfinished Tales, and all those nine other books that follow that series. They're allowed to stay within the boundaries of uh, the Hobbit, Hobbit Appendix, um, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings Appendices, and other other things that are published by um, the estate that is more public domain. So they, they can stay in that. They don't have the rights to the Silmarillion. They don't have the rights to the other things. So they, if a character is mentioned in any of those things that they have direct rights to, they can do what they want. If they're not, um, then they aren't supposed to. So uh, here's an example. Um, the, the wizard that was introduced in the Hobbit movies, uh, the Brown, Radagast the Brown, kind of a weird one. There's actually five wizards that were created, but we've met Sauron, we've met Gandalf, and we met Radagast in the movies. So at some reason, if they want to introduce a wizard, they can go to Radagast, but they can't go to the Blue Wizard or the... Uh, is it green? Anyway, the other two wizards they can't get to because they're not mentioned anywhere else in The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. So they're very explicit in the Silmarillion and some of the Unfinished Tales, but they're not going through. So we will not see any more than three wizards that could get mentioned once. Little, huh. little, little tidbits. So they've got to work around that stuff. There is speculation that that may light loosen up as they go forward, that the estate may allow them to do things. But Tolkien himself was very protective of those things. He didn't never want it to be a TV series. He never was a fan of movies. He did the he needed money before he died, so he, he licensed it to the animated guys, but he never thought it could be made a movie one. But, okay, he died in 73, and special effects were way different back then. Uh, so he couldn't, he definitely couldn't foresee it. He was also 81 and probably didn't care. Uh, so so he never allowed, and did they were a TV series? TV series? No. Like, Never, we're not doing this. Not with Lord of the Rings or any of my lore. They, these TVs, these little black and white boxes, some people have the color, but we're not going to be doing that. No, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, speaking of the wizards, that's really where we leave Nori, right? Is there's, uh, everyone looks up and sees this comet, or what they think is a comet crashing through the sky. We get the perspective of, you know, all of the characters kind of looking up and seeing it. We don't necessarily know the timeline of when they see it, so I'm not reading too much into, like, where it is geographically. Like, I don't know. If anyone knows me, my uh, geography sense is non-existent, which also means I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) They're in Middle Earth. We know they're in Middle Earth. We know it happens. Uh, And then it lands, uh, you know, right right by Nori, and we pan out and we see... Honestly, what looks like the eye of Sauron with the man in the middle of it. And that's where we leave Nori uh, and Poppy at the end of episode one as she's, you know, skirting on the edge and she goes to find it. She, you know, defies kind of like Harfoot tradition or um, I guess expectations, not tradition, and ventures out to seek this, you know, unknown, um, which is great. Like Nori is is very captivating and she is... uh, you know, I, I love a girl with an adventurous spirit. What can I say? Um, so that's where we leave episode one. I mean, it 
I, I watched the two of them back to back because they were released on the same day. So I'm just going to segue right into episode two. Well, I guess we before we up. go that, the Starman. Mm-hmm. So, by the way, in the, the late 70s, there was a Superman movie released with Christopher Reeve. That's how he appeared to Earth, right? He was sent in a capsule and he comes into the, the thing and he comes into like this. He, he falls uh, to to Earth, uh, low, not Lowesland. Uh, his his mum and dad find him. His Earth mum and dad find him, and he comes out. So, but my my first thought when I saw the comet was, no way, they can't do Gandalf. Gandalf holding them in the fire. That can't be Gandalf. And I still don't think it's Gandalf uh, because Gandalf he he comes to Middle Earth in the Third Age. He does not come before the Third Age. Uh, he was, he, but he's timeless. He the five wizards were in Valnor in before the First Age. Like they've been around forever, and this. This being is mature, but, you know, they, it'll be interesting to see where they go. I don't know what it will be. I, I find it really puzzling and intriguing that they threw this in. But uh, my, So my first thing was, oh, my God, that's got to be Gandalf. No, it can't be. The, the timing's wrong. The second was, man, they did it just like Superman. Isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> it's Super Dolph. Super To that... Uh, let's just go right into our speculations. Like I am all for this being Gandalf because as we go through the second episode, um, focusing on Nori's plot, we see, you know, Nori getting to know this um, Superman and, uh, you know, trying to talk to him. Like I'm friend, I'm a friend. My name's Nori. Some really cute moments with them. Then we see this guy definitely using magic as he's tracing in the dirt. And then her dad breaks his foot in the same, you know, the same pattern. So we know that there's a correlation. We know magic is being used. We see him speak to fireflies, which we know Gandalf can do. And then the fireflies die as he's like showing, you know, the stars that he's used to. So the fireflies die, which is, you know, one would think not Gandalf. And we're left with this mystery of who the stranger is. I mean, he arrives, it looks like the Eye of Sauron. He uses magic, but it's like an inverted, you know, symbol of Gandalf. Um, And the magic goes awry and someone is injured, which doesn't seem very like Gandalf the Grey. Um, so who is this guy? I mean, my money is st- it's on it's on Gandalf or it's on Sauron. And I know that you've said that they don't come until like the Third Age, but no, it was you mean Saruman? I think not. Uh, Sauron. Yeah, Saruman, not Sauron. They don't they don't come to Middle Earth until the Third Age, early in the Third Age, and their purpose in coming to Middle Earth is strictly to get rid of Sauron because they they can feel it coming. So they know that this uh, thing, but they they are timeless. They've been in Belnor since the beginning of time. Which was lovely, by the way, at the very beginning of the first episode with the two trees until they burned. Thanks, Morgoth. Like, thanks so much for burning those trees. Anyway, um, then the second age begins. But uh, I I don't know who it will be. There's, as you know, there's lots of interesting magic in Lord of the Rings, but it's. I've heard in your Wheel of Time chat people kind of diss Tolkien and his magic, but I, I think that magic to Tolkien was. Uh, not just unnatural, but it was just limited to to wizards for the most part, or people that were part of it. It's not um, it's it's not throughout the world. But uh, one of the themes in Lord of the Rings is that there is a knight. So the ring draws people to things. And yes, it was created by Sauron, who has wizarding things uh, about him, etc. But there are rules, and it does uh, draw it in. So I, I'm I'm watching with eagerness to find out how they're going to how they're going to you know use this 
this creature, this person, to um, to to where, where it goes because I'm you know it's going to get Nori on an adventure, so she'll get out of the house, and she and a few others are going to make a trip because my other thing that's just watching this is how are they bringing these three storylines together? So there's these great three plots. They are obviously in parallel, but how are they going to bring the three of them together? Obviously, Galadriel's not yet in Middle-earth, but we know that she'll get there. Um, Bronwyn is in, I can't remember the name of the towns, but they are in the southern... In the southlands. Yeah, in the southern uh, human, or the, where the men, the men of the south are living. So they're somewhere down there, and we know that Sauron or something evil has done some attacking. And, and then you've got Nori with this uh, magical being from the stars uh, and how they're going to tie them together. So that, to me, is intriguing. Uh, I, I can't wait to see how it starts to play out. So, Really, um, I think Nori's plot in the second episode, that was kind of plot A. Like, that was where our focus was, was the stranger, the mystery, what's going on there. Galadriel kind of takes a back seat um, in the second episode just because, I mean, she's in the middle of the ocean how much how many times you're going to show her swimming um with head up front crawl like girl that put your head down do the two stroke and breathe like this is exhausting <laughs> that is a huge sea um and of course galadriel meets up with the humans and i, I just you know kind of drawing on what we t- touched on about racism in in men um her immediately trying to hide her ears and not mm-hmm. she's not deceitful because she's Galadriel and she's an elf, but she is not um She's appropriately cautious. Right? She just yes. knows that the because men won't uh, they won't appreciate her being an elf. So why let you know why why point it out? But of course they know where they are in the sea, so they figure if it's us and who else could be out here and who could be swimming this long on their own has to be an elf. Let's look under that hair. So. Right. And uh so we see um, Galadriel's journey is basically just we get we get some fun stuff with the worm. Everyone dies that she who saves her except for I think his name's Haraldin. I don't know. I'm just gonna call him Hot Human because Haladar. Haladar. Hallbrand. Oh sorry, Hallbrand. Hallbrand. Sorry, yeah. yeah. So I don't think he's canon. You can correct me. Um I'm gonna I didn't look know. up while you're chatting on that just to think I didn't check on him. Yeah, Hallbrand. Um, anyway, Hot Human, I'll just call him because th- that's easier for me to remember. Uh, he has what my good friend Allie from Wheel Takes calls a save the cat moment. So we, you know, we meet this guy. He saves himself first, like cuts the ship in half so he can leave everyone else to get eaten by this worm. And he sails off. Um, into the seas and then he sees Galadriel and and rescues her mostly because he needs someone to help him paddle we think Um, and the save the cat moment comes when Galadriel has uh, strapped herself to a quote-unquote mast is falling down will likely die and he dives down to save her Um, so redeeming himself at least in the eyes of the audience I think and then I don't know these two actors uh We've got um, Charlie Vickers, who's playing Hallbrand, and Morfid Clark, who plays Galadriel. The two of them together have, like I thought, unbelievable chemistry. If they make a romantic relationship between Galadriel and Hallbrand, that will upset a lot of people. (laughs) 
They, Will you be one of the people who it, is upset? It, that just breaks the canon. Uh, not that you know she had to be celibate or whatever before she met, meets up with Celeborn, but uh, basically in the writings that I've read so far, uh, she has had interest in some. I mean, there was speculation about her and Elrond, blah, blah, blah. But she was always elf to elf, and um, Celeborn was her first true love. So, uh, yes, I'm such a heroic saving. He takes her knife out. Man, those elvish knives are good, aren't they? They can cut through anything. And uh, he rescues her, and they, they, they uh, get on the back on the raft and start floating around. But if they create... Uh, sexual tension is one thing, but if they actually create a relationship... They will have crossed a canon line too much, I think. So hopefully they respect that part. Because that part's pretty well documented, at least from the quick readings I, I did. After after watching stuff, I kind of flipped through and go, what, what's going on here? Who, who did uh, Galadriel you know, have liaisons with, etc., etc.? Basically, it's just Celeborn. Yeah. I mean, it could be like I'm all for, you know, sexual autonomy and giving her a little bit more before she meets Celeborn. And he can still be her one true love, even if there's other people in between dalliances. What I could see them doing with Hellbrand, because we know it's been greenlit for five seasons, is a, kind of a betrayal of the heart. So I could see Galadriel getting really you know, getting attached and just what we've seen from Hellbrand so far, like maybe he does do what the race of man does and does an action that is self-serving to him um, so that there's not a chance for romance to fully blossom. Or, you know, maybe it's another save the cat moment and it's this thing where he dies saving her and she just always kind of feels like that there is good in man and that allows her to continue um, her work before she sails into the West uh, on behalf of, of mankind and really want to save Middle-earth from Morgoth and from this evil um, because she believes in the good. But that's just kind of like wild speculation. Um, so yeah, basically Hallbrand and Galadriel hang out. They're on a raft together. It Like the episode ends, it both opens and closes with Galadriel. Um, and we just have this shadow from a ship looming over her and Hallbrand. So, so don't know who that is yet. Again, I paused the showing to see if they would show who the other actor was. Yes. They did not. I know. So. Damn it, X-ray. <laughs> so, I could not see who it was. I have no. I have no guess as to uh, who it could be at this point. There's. She's. She's still out in uh, Numenor and doing her thing. So she's nowhere near Middle Earth. I have no idea who this. Uh, no. Could she's be Elrond. Just... Although it looks like they had a. They had a fuzzy head. So yeah, and I don't pair. know if Elrond would be on a ship because he's. You know, he's been swinging a hammer with uh, Durin and broing down with the elves. Um, and that's, you know, we'll, we'll crash into that now. Um, definitely a standout moment, like had me roll, like not quite rolling on the couch laughing, but laughing pretty hard. Cause it just felt like those cheeky dwarf moments that you loved from like the trilogy, uh, you know, coming in, uh, Elrond wasn't accepted in. Then we get this, like basically a dick swinging competition, yes as to who can break the most rocks or who will give up first. And of course it's going to be um, your band or um, you get to ask a boon and Elrond, you know, basically lays the hammer down after, after Durin couldn't break the rock because he wanted to come at this respectfully. And we learn after that, you know, Durin and Elrond are friends, but then Elrond 
pulled an elf and was like, yeah, I haven't seen you for 20 years. What of it? Meanwhile, Durin and Princess Disa have lived this beautiful life together. He's met someone he loves. They've married. They've had kids. Parents. Um, <laughs> we parents. And, you know, Elrond hasn't been around for any of it. He was invited to the wedding. He just didn't come. Um, and as Durin said, you know, it's the blink of an eye to you. But, like, it's been a whole lifetime for me. But and that would be the one quote I would say that really stuck with me in the thing. And I think when we were chatting in preparation, it put a lot of things in perspective on the elven dwarfish fight, right? Where dwarves live typically a man a, a, a man's lifespan, maybe a bit longer, but uh, you know, elves live centuries, thousands of years, and don't actually die; they just go to the Grey Haven. So they. Uh, it was it was very uh, very entertaining how they how they did that. I have not seen any reference to that kind of exchange in the books, but that's that to me is where they would they're respecting both Tolkien and the movies, and they're just saying you know this 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 is possible. So good writing on that one. I thought that was uh, sort of the highlight of the the first couple things for me. Yeah, and like you know the dinner together, the mm-hmm. banter between Durin and Disa. Um, I everything I thought was so fun, like just very cheeky and, um, like I said, like felt felt Tolkienish to me. Being able to see Casa Dune in all of its glory, instead of just like the remains of the Mines of Moria that we get in Fellowship, was stunning. Like you can like, okay, Lord of the like Lord of the Rings, flex harder. We get you have a bigger budget than Wheel of Time, and like show it off, which they did. Like they the did. waterfalls, the turning. Oh my gosh, it was. Stunning, like more than I could have ever imagined Casa Doom might look like, um, which was great. And, you know, then we pick up on the tensions between uh, at least Elrond and Durin. But we understand as well that dwarves and elves can be friends. There's no bitter rivalry. And so, you know, when we were when we were kind of brainstorming this, I we know what happens with dwarves and elves, at least from where Fellowship picks up. Right. Like with Legolas and Gimli, like they're sworn enemies. And I think this is this is going to be the pinnacle is the relationship between Elrond and Durin. And we are going to see, you know, kind of a betrayal by Elrond. But then with whatever the secret thing is that, you know, Durin three and four reveal to themselves, but not to the audience at the end of like, they've got something that they're working with to help them. It's Durin's bane, I believe. So they dug too deep. They unearthed something that they shouldn't have on earth this should be the start of that process so it should lead right into the downfall of uh Kazabi, right so the uh, um it, it should be during spain i think they just found mithril okay that's, well that's new to me i love it yeah. durin's vein um mithril. so that's, that's something the, that i that's think the silvery stuff that uh, the the coat that um uh yes that Bilbo uh, frodo wears yeah. I, yeah. I think this is the discovery gets... of that. That's my Okay. I mean, it was shiny. That's all I know. Um, so yeah, Durin, Disa, Elrond definitely stood out to me as a highlight. I actually liked Elrond a lot more in the second episode because we saw, maybe I'll call it his human side. Um, we saw him being less, I don't know, less... Stuffy. Stuffy. <laughs> he was more open. He was kind, like he was laughing. He was enjoying it. Um, he did get invited to stay for dinner, but at the same time, like he's, you know, he's there. He's a man with a plan, and he is trying to get what he wants. So there's a little of that uh, politicking still layered um, behind his words. 
so that's where we leave um, Durin, is with other Durin, um, looking at the Mithril, I guess, and deciding whether or not they're going to help the elves build this castle for Celebrimbor, a.k.a. Sauron's assistant, I think. <laughs> evil elf. That evil, would, evil elf. That would break canon, too. So but we'll see. We'll see where they go. Uh, but he break might, it. As I said, Shatter it. Maybe he teaches Sauron the art of uh, the brewing, right? So the creation of the rings is going to happen somewhere through these five seasons. So they'll, uh, not the big three, but the creation of the other rings will happen through these five yeah. seasons. So. I mean, it is the rings of power, so we know what's coming. Um, we'll we'll talk, like, Aaron Deere and Bronwyn didn't have as much of a plot this one. I'll probably call it, like, plot plot C. It was there. Um, you know, Aaron Deere, they go to the town. They see that it's things have been dug. Aaron Deere goes down um, and follows the cave, sees an orc, goes splashing in some water, and then we leave him when he's, oh, it's such a beautiful moment. He's got his, like, dagger out, his beautiful elven blade, and he's, like, crouched behind the trees, and then hands grab him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I see those hands. I'm like, ooh, that's Ents. I think it's Ents. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The Ents don't move very fast, but they would be more, uh, if, you, if you remember, yeah. if you remember, um, uh, Treebeard just saying, well, we don't move as much as we used to. Uh, you know, we're getting old and we're getting treeish. So it could well be that these are younger ants. Just think of Quicksilver from the, the movie, who was the fast one that was couldn't stand the ant loot that was going on. Right. Couldn't sit still for it. So. <laughs> but yeah, like those, like the hands look like they don't look like orc hands. No. And I don't think, and I, but I think you're supposed to obviously think that, but you know, he's behind trees, he's crouched and then just vanishes. And that's where we leave um, Arondir. And then, you know, Bronwyn goes back to her town, tries to tell people like, we gots to get gone. Stuff is happening and it's terrible. And the people are like, ha ha. You silly healer. We're not going anywhere. She goes back home. An orc's been digging. That was the mice that Theo kept hearing under the floorboards. Theo, you know, fucks around and finds out. Orc comes after him. He hides. Bronwyn comes home, sees it, hides. And then, you know, the two of them take it down, which was beautiful. But you also see Theo holding and looking, staring at very much like, you know, Frodo with the ring and looking into the the eye. So into Sauron's spell, whatever spell it is, it, that symbol that we, they created for the show, which is yes. very cool. Uh, we'll see where that goes. Yes. And then, you know, one of my favorite moments from the episode was Bronwyn just slamming down the orc's head at the bar or the tavern and being like, all right, now do you believe me? Let's go. We're leaving at dawn. Um and yeah, we're left kind of like with sketchy Theo holding maybe a blade or something that then grows so it expands and it's like feeding off of something. And we see, you know, the Morgoth or whatever it is swirling well, around it would, as it's growing and like ignites a bit. So just to reset you, Morgoth himself is killed, right? So the end of the first age mm-hmm. is when Morgoth is killed, but Sauron takes his evilness basically and yes. takes it forward. The, this is, the evil of Morgoth. So we're going to see... This is, this is um, if you watch the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, when you saw the power of Darth Vader when he was a young Vader and how horrible he was, this is Sauron's moment as the young Sauron. We're going to see lots of evil like we didn't even see. It was all promised in Lord of the Rings. It was all threatened, but you never saw Sauron itse- it itself, himself. We never saw the Shire burning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was one of my... I understand why, but... Ugh. Anyway. Uh, they... Um, 
this will we will see Sauron, I believe, uh, just similar to what we saw a Darth in the Young Thing. We will see his evil. We will see his power wielding ways. We will see him go. We will also see him change and become friendly because somehow the dwarves, the elves, take the reins. So he has to, you know, adopt them. So I, I expect that they'll do a very clever job of having the repentant Sauron be able to hand the stuff over. But that could be season two, season three at that point. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited, basically, mm -hmm. is where all of this leads. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, Arondir and Bronwyn are now separated, where that goes when Arondir and Galadriel meet up, because I can definitely see that happening soon. We know Galadriel is going to be heading back to um, the Southlands, um, because that's where Hallbrand said you know, he saw orcs and Galadriel was like, take me to the orcs, take me to this evil. So we know that's where they're headed. We know that's where Arondir, you know, I think got abducted by Ents. We know that's where Bronwyn is fleeing. So I'm waiting for all of these stories to kind of well, I did watch converge. the, so after the two episodes, this little thing, here's what's coming in the first season of you know, yes. Rings of Power. So I finally watched that. Uh, in preparation for our little chat today. So she has to go back and talk to Gilgalad, the ever-wonderful king. Gilgalad is an interesting character in the in the canon, so we'll see how they actually treat him. But he's obviously a bit puffy and trying to, no, no, everything's good. We're all fine here now. Everything's fine. So he's not dealing with reality, but uh, he does get overthrown, I believe, is by Sauron. So that, hopefully they'll play into that. Ooh. Yeah. Um, anyway, he ha uh, she has to go back and ask Gilgalad, permission to go to Middle Earth and uh, then get a fleet that she can take. So she's not going to, I don't believe she's going to go on her own. And you've seen that, everybody I believe has seen that beautiful scene where these massive ships with those beautiful sails are coming through the Arganath. Where, if you remember that, where the um, there was a... Yes, yes, yes. In the, in the um, two or sorry, fellowship when they're sailing through and like there's the statues, yeah, yeah that the, were... Yeah, the Arganath. Yeah. So the home of the old king. So they come sailing into that part uh, and it should be just one of those beautiful scenes so i have i assume that's either episode three or four we'll see that i'm looking forward to it very much yes um well that kind of like is our recap for episodes one and two um you know the next episode drops on uh friday september 9th or i mean if you're cheeky thursday september 8th I'm at cheeky. nine eastern <laughs> um so what are your biggest takeaways from season or episodes one and two? Your disappointments, what stood out to you, and what you're excited to see uh, in the remainder of the episodes for this season? Well, to be honest, in terms of disappointments, I, I wasn't disappointed in anything. Uh, I just, I'm cautious and I hope they don't break the canon thing. I hope that Bronwyn and uh, uh, his name keeps falling out of Aaron Deer. Aaron Deer do not create a romantic relationship because I don't want them to break the that that there were three relationships. I, I just don't do things that will tick off the Tolkien universe. Don't don't do that. I hope that they don't have um, Galadriel have a human relationship. Don't. She's she's elf. And by the way, I, I, was, I was saying in our prep. Uh, Tolkien describes her as the greatest elf of her generation. So here's the misogynist, and he's created this incredible character, Galadriel. So can she carry a sword? Damn straight. Is she, she is the greatest elf of her generation. 
I will find that quote before we uh, our next episode, so I can actually read it. Back. So you're you're saying that Galabadass, knowing her way around a sword, is not breaking canon. It's actually expected. It should be expected. And anybody who thought that uh, an elf female would uh, sit back and maybe in you know, let me see. When would he have written Lord of the Rings? It was published in the fifties, maybe in the fifties. There was still the housewife, house husband. Yes, we've all watched Mad Men, so we know what it used to be like. But when they made um, uh, Liv Tyler's character uh, such a strong woman, and she actually mashed a few of the other characters together, that so that she could do it, we knew, and given that these guys are going to do it, that they're going to modernize the female character. And the fact that Tolkien refers to her as one of the greatest elves of the generation, maybe he says, maybe this one, but I think, you know, I think Galadriel was the actual greatest elf. So, yeah, she's she's obviously going to be, uh, you know, comfortable with a sword. She's going to be a leader. She's going to be strong-willed. She's going to be capable of doing so many things. So I think they're they're expanding on the canon a little bit that Tolkien would have written, but I don't think they're breaking it. I think that, to me, is... I'm, I'm very much okay with it. I'm interested in uh, what they're going to do with Starman. I'm going to refer... They call it the Stranger in the episode. The Stranger, yes. But I'm, going to, I'm interested in what they're going to do with the Starman, and I hope they stay... Uh, within the lines, and uh, I love the scenery. I love the feeling of Middle Earth. I think the hobbits are great. I, I, I have, you know, the the the, the mystical, magical uh, hobbit. Uh, I don't know his name handy, but he's the one looking at the stars and seeing for helping foretell all this stuff. I love his character. He he doesn't appear later in the world of the hobbits because they yeah uh, Sadik Sadik Burrows. I think he's great. I think that's a great addition because hobbits changed over time. They became more insular after the 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 big war where Sauron was first defeated by Isildur and all that sort of stuff. Hobbits retreated. So um, you know the third generation hobbits, our friends Bilbo and Frodo and Sam and all those fine people, they are descendants for you know thousands of years after. Uh, what the Harfoots. The Harfoots. So it's it's nice to see a different uh, take on hobbits, and I think it's fine. Like I, I do. I think I think it's fine, but we'll see where they take it. So so far, it's great. I, I I'm enjoying it. It's it's going to be a slow reveal. Like any of these things, they've got ten episodes. I think for the first season, ten. They've yeah. got ten episodes to to lay out something that would normally be laid out in a three hour movie, and and. I think it's I think it's great. So we'll just get more layers. We'll get more character development, and so far so good. I, I I'm very encouraged. Um, you know, I I I think Elon Musk in his tweet saying what a stupid thing it is. I think he's an idiot. So, Elon, uh, <laughs> if you pick this up and and you want to think it's uh, at Graham twenty two, and I will call you it because I think you're you're wrong. I, I just dead wrong. So far, so good. But we'll see where it goes. Just stay in your lines. Don't go out of your lane. That's what I hope. Yeah. Uh, Neil Gaiman actually had a perfect tweet uh, in response to Elon Musk, um, starting with, you know, I don't tell you how to fail to buy Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) So basically stay in your fucking lane. Uh, And that's why Neil Gaiman Gaiman is an icon. Um, Favorite authors. Love them. Uh, well, that should wrap up um, our episode. I guess just stand uh, favorite character from episode one. Nori. Favorite character from episode two. Uh, Sakella Brimbor. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, for me, I think Galadriel, just because it is so like Arwen was great in the movies. We didn't get enough of her. It is just so cool to see a badass elf getting after it. Um, uh, who happens to be female. Um, and episode two, uh, I gotta go. I gotta go with Disa. She's a, she's a Princess lot of fun. Disa got me going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, predictions for next episode. Um, what's to come? I am excited to see the elves and dwarves, you know, strike up a deal and start the building of the tower that Celebrimbor says he needs. Um, that, I'm excited by the to way, see. Is Mordor. I believe uh, that's the tower. Yeah. It will be the, uh, well, th- th- there's the, the two towers. I think it's the start of the two towers, which I think is cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, uh, it definitely, like, even just the visual that we saw, like, I think, I think it's not spoiling anything to our fellow never readers to say that shit's going to get dark yeah. really quick. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see the starting of the building of that, maybe see a little bit more about the Mithril. Um, if, and if that I'm excited is indeed to what find they out. have, right? So is, is yes. it truly Durin's Bane or is it some jewel or some other magical thing? Is it a crystal? That helps that? them dig faster. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm excited for, um, to find out, uh, you know, what, where Aaron Deer is and if he is indeed with the Ents. And, you know, even though I fucking hated them in the Two Towers and that's why I put the book down, I love them in the movie and I'm excited to see oh, them on dude, screen. I, they were my favorite <laughs> characters in the Two Towers. I love the Two Towers. It's my favorite book of the three. Although, who, who can't, who doesn't cry at the end of Return of the King? Who, uh, who, who just who, who does that? That's people without a heart. Exactly. I tell you, my friends, right. you bow to no one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Well, this wraps up our episode on Rings of Power episodes one and two. We will be back dropping episodes every Thursday talking about the Rings of Power this season, our speculations, our theories. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Discord. Link is in the description. You can add us on Twitter, Feather and Mountain Podcast, uh, or... Uh, Grendel12, I'm Delusions of Grendel on Twitter, or uh, Graham22. Graham22 Graham to find Graham's confusion. Um, at Feather and Mountain Podcast at gmail.com if you really want to get into uh, you know a dialogue about why I should read Lord of the Rings or um, why everything is broken and this is not canon and uh, <laughs> rings of power is ruining you and you know you can't sleep anymore because of um, how severely Tolkien's world is shook I will say that uh, if you send an email of that sort um, or if you desire to send it you can actually send it to let Galadriel stab you at erendeerforever.com uh, thank you so much thanks for listening we'll catch you next time bye bye